This is Ross Coulthard, and you are listening to That UFO Podcast. Did you know that podcast advertising is way more effective than display advertising? With 67% of listeners remembering brands and 63% making a purchase after hearing them. Whether you want to diversify your ad spend, add a new marketing stream, or test out podcast ads, Zencaster's creator network makes it easy for brands to connect with podcasters. Zencaster's mission is to make podcast advertisements as easy and accessible to business owners as Google or Facebook. Post-read ads like this are the most effective form of podcast advertising. Zencaster works with podcasters to help create unique to them ad spots that create brand awareness and conversion. Zencaster's Creator Network is the perfect place for you to get into podcast ads and sponsor your favourite creators like me. I've worked with Zencaster now for some time and they truly put the content creators and the listeners at the heart of what they do. As a huge fan of podcasts myself, and I really mean that, I love podcasts. I often buy products or services that I find useful to me based on those pods that I'm listening to. It supports them and there's usually a good discount to go along with it. So if you're interested in sponsoring this show or another podcast with adverts for your business, go to zen.ai forward slash that UFO pod one. That's the number one. Or click the link in the description and fill out the contact information so Zencaster can help you bring your business story to life. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. It's a very long overdue listener call-in. This one's only four calls but four very good calls as well. Just to say I'm looking for some more listeners to get in touch for call-in this October. Let me know at ufouapam at gmail.com or via DM on any platform if you want to get involved. Just with time constraints over the last few months, I've had to do these calls over some different periods. The first one's being recorded back in June. So very much apologies if you really do enjoy these listener call-ins. Many of you tell me you have missed them. So here's four fantastic calls and the subjects on the range from the theory of why there is a threat narrative, what has to happen to convince people the phenomenon or UFOs are real, the phoenix lights being witnessed by someone who forgot about it, and then we'll finish up with Dave Smethurst, regular caller, regular contributor, making some points as well. A fascinating show, some fantastic calls, and like I say, if you want to get involved in the listener call-in, please do get in touch. Enjoy the show, folks. Joining me on the line now from the south of France is Susie Russell. Susie, welcome to the podcast. Nice to be here, Andy. Hi. It's good to have you on. Listen, Susie, uh, interesting call ahead, I'm sure. You've already told me very generally what it's going to be about, but uh, the floor is yours. So tell the listeners what you want to discuss. Okay. So I have a theory that sometime in the mid-50s, the US and potentially other foreign countries became aware that our alien visitors' motives were, let's say, um, sinister, and that the threat narrative, as it's currently known now, is the underlying reason for the truce embargo. There are two narratives alleging that uh, President Eisenhower met with aliens, commonly quoted incident at Edwards Air Force Base and a different, far more documented one with many witnesses who've come forward in Holloman in 1955. Um, incidentally, a great source of detailed information on this topic is Timothy Good's book, Above Top Secret. Following the um, Robertson panel, it's a matter of absolute public record via FO, 
IA requests that the CIA, the Air Force and senior government officials officially decided that ufology should be treated as an amusing joke to be mocked, dismissed, its researchers and devotees to be, well, defined as nothing more than the lunatic fringe, thereby ensuring that the whole subject would never be taken seriously by the public media or, more importantly, the scientific community. As a direct consequence of the initial decision to hide the truth, dealing with the collateral damage which we talk about now, obscuring saps, protecting personal reputations, etc., inevitably became a fundamental necessity. Interestingly, amongst others, Lou and Ross during the past year have subtly alluded to the fact that the truth surrounding our alien presence, as they understood it, could cause panic and social unrest. There were, so I believe, the orchestrated obfuscation, ridicule and lies that have continued unabated for around 65 years were conceived in order to protect our societal well-being until, well, maybe we have the possibility to defend ourselves. It's an absolute fact, I believe, that governments and private sector have been deeply involved in technical catch-up for 65 years, apparently with little or no success, it has to be said. An inordinate amount of time, effort, imagination and money has been invested in perpetuating, perpetuating, sorry, the truth embargo. Why? Unless the very survival of our civilization is at risk. So that kind of sums up, I think the truth embargo is derived from a threat narrative. And I'm really interested, Andy, in what you think about that. So, yeah, a few questions off the back of that. First one for me is what what's convinced you that this is the case and this is this mm-hmm. is most likely the, the right scenario? And I've got a few questions off the back of that as well. Okay, it started for me during a private conversation with a highly, highly respected researcher with impeccable credentials and, more importantly, many deeply embedded contacts. A few years ago, this researcher told me that, in his opinion, and, oh, my goodness, I respect his opinion, the threat hypothesis is the correct one. Okay. Now, the idea that these objects are are beings... The, the way you're talking about it, and many people do, and it's, it's not one that I disregard at all, is the assumption that they're all from the same place and same source? Who knows, Andy? I think probably not. Um, if you take, for example, the, the difference between Stephen Greer and David Jacobs' opinion, um, there's a huge divide. And I think there's a logical argument that says we've, been visited by different species and they're not all aggressive or sinister with motives that don't bear thinking about. Um, but the, I am particularly interested in, in, in why the truth embargo, because looking back, I've, I've really looked into it and looking back at all the effort, all the money that's been spent, just hiding it for the sake of hiding it makes no sense. And I believe that is a species that represents a threat, a real threat to our society. 
But you mentioned Lou Elizondo and Ross Coulthard, and I've just watched Ross Coulthard again on Jimmy Church that was recorded about two nights ago. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and Ross gives his his very thorough answers, doesn't he? He's a, he likes he likes a, a long answer, but it's very well thought out, very meticulous, and he gives you a lot of detail. And again, Ross covered that he feels more and more that the the ET hypothesis for a lot of what's going on isn't the case and that it's likely these objects are potentially dimensional or from a different reality or very much somewhere a lot closer to home what are your thoughts given what you've discussed how how that fits in i listened to exact i've listened to it twice and that particular segment of the discussion with jimmy um is fascinating one of the things that I've noticed with Ross and Lou is that the amount they say and what they say changes. It, it's almost a developing narrative that's been, I almost feel sometimes as if, it, as if it's been pre-planned uh, to allow nuggets to drop in a certain order over a period of time. And I don't know, I, I didn't take it that he was referring to extra dimensional or interdimensional I thought I took it as he was saying they're here and they've been here for a long time. It's a difficult one. You know, we all know about the rumours that have abound about Antarctica. We also know about no-fly zones and Google map, Google image, Google Earth cover-ups and not allowed to look at this or talk about that and um, special visits being paid by the Pope by presidents, or go back as far as the bird expedition, if you like. Um, and, yeah, that, that, what can I say? Maybe they are here and have been here for a long time. I, th- I think uh, Ross also said, am I right, he said they were they were here before us, or was that on this interview or a different one it might have been? I don't think that was, I don't think that was Monday night. No, um, he, he, I think he's alluded to that before, but I don't know if that was in Ross just kind of spitballing when he's been discussing this, because it's not the first time he's talked about this this idea that they're not necessarily from far away. Well, OK, so how about this? They, I believe initially they were from far away. I think they've probably intervened for m- many thousands of years in our development. I think they've watched this. I think, I think they possibly... You, represent our human version of God. Um, they, it's fascinating that so many religions have their God figures coming from the sky, but that doesn't uh, count out the, the fact that they could uh, be living here. They could still have bases on the moon. They could still have motherships up there so that, you know, the gods that descended and lived on Mount Olympus or, I don't know, flew around the skies on Vermanas, could well have been amongst us and have bases that made them appear to have come from the sky. Andy, I don't know. Um, I was fascinated by that, just as you were on Monday night. And I haven't really had time to fit it in with all the other things that I think about. Um, you know, it's funny when you talk about the the coming from the sky aspect of things that recently, who was it was talking about cargo cults? It was someone that I interviewed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah. they mentioned that there were there was an island uh, during the war that essentially like the, the US or whoever it was were landing on the island and the locals of the island had never seen that technology of an aircraft before. And they, they then built themselves runways 
because they felt if they built a runway, then maybe this technology would come back. And you wonder that would just be the same thing, wouldn't it? That you see something it, coming from the sky and you assume, oh, it must come from up there when you don't sure. know where it's traveling from. No. The, the, the other thing that suddenly has, seems to become the focus of a lot of discussion amongst, you know, the loos and rosses of, of our world is the notion that they're based in the sea. Um, you know, we used to hear about USOs occasionally, but now it's very much a focal point. Mm. Um, and if you think about it, is there anything irrational about, we, we don't know what's at the depths of our oceans. We've heard, we know more about the moon than we do about the Mariana Trench. Um, it is possible that they have been living here um, based with craft that can go in and out of you know, our atmosphere at will forever for, for as long as humanity's been here they could have huge bases in antarctica they could have amazing underwater systems do you remember a while back the report of an amazing sound that came out of the sea that the the the, 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 the depths of the depths of it and the the, the volume yeah. being almost on belief yeah I thought I, 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 the first time I heard it, that resonated, and I, it's kind of stayed with me. And you know, they may have had a, some huge explosion because somewhere or other they have to be manufacturing these craft. Um, which then, when I start thinking about that, I start to think, okay, could they really, really be doing that on Earth without us knowing? Who knows? And I don't know. I'm no great researcher. I'm just somebody who who's deeply interested in the subject. Susie, let me ask one more thing before we, we kind of run out of time as well. Uh, you, you talk about the governments and you can't see why they would hold back the truth just for the sake of it. Let me play devil's advocate here, which I like to do. And Go. what if the, the reason they hold back the truth is because they themselves know so little and understand so little about this phenomenon? They don't want to pass on that they're kind of helpless and at a bit of a loss and essentially you would have someone a world leader standing at a press conference saying yeah i can give you some bullet points but most of it we're genuinely not sure of and imagine they are telling the truth would that not be a reason to hold back in in 1947 yes absolutely why was roswell declared a u a ufo crash site and then immediately oh actually not yeah I think initially, perhaps, yes, that was the reason on the basis that we have nothing intelligent to say about what's just happened um, and are going to look like complete fools. But I, for that to be the reason for it to continue for, what is it, nearly 75 years? In a couple of months' time, it will be 75 years. I don't think so. I think it's gone beyond that. I think we're in a technological race to back-engineer or, or re-engineer what, whatever um, our defence systems so that actually they can come out and say, yep, it, they exist. Yep, there's a threat. But actually, don't panic, guys, because we've got this. I'm sorry, that's very simplistic. But no, I don't, I don't agree with you. I don't think that just ignorance has sustained the amount of money, effort, my goodness, the amount of people involved in the cover-up. When you look at all the details of the cover-up, it must have cost trillions just to maintain 
the truth embargo. And I don't think you do that because of ignorance. I think you do it for a deeper, more profound reason. Susie, that's a fascinating call to kick off the listener call in with a few months off. So I'm very glad you've got in touch and uh, definitely make sure you call in again next time. Okay. Thank you, Andy. God bless. Next up on the line is Gaz Kendrick from Cheshire. Gaz, welcome to the podcast. Hello, guys. Good morning, afternoon, good evening. Delete as applicable, depending where you are <laughs> in the world. Um, and Dan is joining me for this second call as well. Dan, thanks for getting up. <laughs> Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> no, it's good. We've just had Susie uh, from the south of France. Really interesting call on the theories of the threat narrative and truth embargo. And uh, equally interesting question from yourself, Gaz. So the floor is yours, Gaz. What do you want to talk about? Well, first, thank thank you for doing this and giving us the opportunity to come on and have a chat. Um, I was just wondering, for you guys, like with disclosure and this talk of disclosure, what would it mean for you guys? Like, what would it take for a disclosure? And with that said, is there anything for certain people, like the Mick Wests of the world? Is, is there something that they could see? They go, yeah. Or would it have to be a personal experience for them to really connect to something that there's more going on? I'd just like to get your opinions on that. Yeah, it's interesting. I was I was talking to Dan about this, guys, before you before you, you rang in. We'll say we'll go old school and say rang in, not connected. Um <laughs> and I was like, do you know what? There's a few trains I thought. There's one of just convincing people that there is something going on, which I think has been largely accepted now, but there's still a huge debate over what that might be. I think that the easy introduction to the subject at the minute, and I've said this many times, so apologies if I sound like a broken record, but is showing someone with an interest or a passing interest, the Phenomenon documentary from James Fox, and saying, look, here's a really a really nice history of the subject, but also it's very, very up to date, and, and you know what's happened the last few years, some of the major players, some of the incidents, and then some of the historical cases, but also some of the work being done right now, like the stuff with metamaterials, Gary Nolan, Jacques Vallee are all introduced in there as well. So I think yeah. it covers quite a broad spectrum, but it's not. There's no proof within that in that sense of here is definitive proof of an alien or non-human intelligence or whatever you want to call it. Um, I, I think what you said within your original question when you got in touch is that people probably do have to have their own experience um, and that's not just seeing a light in the sky but something maybe a little bit more substantial especially if you're talking about skeptics and debunkers or or just Definitely. the general public i mean the general public need, need to probably see something for themselves a la a phoenix lights type incident I, i'm guessing that if you asked all the residents of phoenix who saw that event in the mid 90s you know modern day in 2022 do you know do you believe in, in aliens or ufos however you want to word it almost to a man woman and child every one of them would say yeah i still do because of what i saw that night so that that probably has a massive massive impact dan i've warbled on i was going to ask what about yourself i i think that that's all fair i I won't repeat the points about the history and the phenomena i totally agree with those i i would say that i would probably go to the school landings and stuff like witness of another world i talk about the human experience very often and i think it's undeniable that when you see the effect that these experiences have had on people that their reality has clearly been perturbed and they they've just their life has almost fallen apart and that's not over nothing you know we we should strive to understand what happened to people and especially if there are you know radar returns that go along with those experiences that that's it, it presents really intriguing questions that need answering i think that nothing really substitutes for having your own experience but 
there's a lot to be said about education. You know, I, I see a lot of um, SpaceX launches and Starlink posts kind of saying, oh, you know, they're here, we're not alone. And, and it's more an example of why people need to, you know, look up in the night sky a little bit more and understand what's there. The actual experience seems to kind of somewhat traumatize people as well. So I say yeah. be careful what people wish for. You know, there there is, it, it's not just all fun and games. Yeah, I've seen aliens, you, you know, your world kind of falls apart. But I think ultimately humanity over the next couple of decades, you know, with things like the James Webb telescope and us being able to look for life in places that we thought it couldn't exist and realize, and it's been there all along. I think we'll see a subtle shift into realizing that life as we know it is a lot broader than we thought and that everything old will kind of feel new again. We'll realize that, I guess, as Bigelow said, that it's been right in front of us this whole time. What about you guys? What do you think? No, I, I love what you guys have said. You know, um, as far as documentaries and stuff go, um, as much as I love like the disclosure ones and when they get into like, what was the uh, Terror in the Sky, the recent one with all the data and stuff, mm-hmm. I do enjoy that and I can watch that and relate to some of it. But then I, I my personal one would be like the Dorothy Isaac Capturing the Light documentary and the book that was released. That one really resonated with me because... It was just a little a normal woman who had nothing to gain from what she was seeing or what she was saying. And the world kind of put her on a, you know, in the spotlight for a moment there and was like, well, no, you're lying and we're going to prove it. And they threw all these things at her and not one of them could ever disprove what she'd seen or what she'd recorded or what she'd photographed or what the family had witnessed. And things like that resonated more with me personally than, say, like a radar or flur, because like we've seen some more footage recently been released by either the hearings or again from the guy who released the rubber duck and stuff and you know as much as those little dots are interesting and we could talk about them for hours i'm sure but for me i've seen these weird lights in the sky a bit closer than that and seeing that it hits you a lot harder than say like that video of a little dot on a floor camera yeah the, the the experience of it you take that it stays with you it really does um, like you were saying about the Phoenix Lights, it's funny you say that. A, a friend of mine who runs a Facebook group who I'm a, a moderator on, he was there. He saw he was a witness at the Phoenix Lights when he was a kid. Oh, cool. And he was saying, like, you know, this has stayed with him forever. You know, this isn't something he's forgot. He he got to the point where he started a UFO Facebook page up, you know. The guy's he's got his own business, he he's got family, you know, he's quite a credible guy, but this is something that's resonated with him for so long that he felt like he needed to talk about it. And um, again, going back to what you said about the aerial school phenomenal uh, documentary, I recently saw that uh, yesterday and it blew me away. Some of the stuff that was in there and the, how it affected these people. Now you could turn around and say that oh, they're lying or a memory can be manipulated over time. And I can agree with that because one of the most experiences that what well, the worst experience I had was with a group of people and we all have a slightly different memory of that event, but it stayed with us all for the last 19, 20 years sort of thing. And um, at the time it was prosaic, you know, you look at it and you think, well, what could it have been? And for me, it was always, you dipped into that religious kind of uh, explanation for things. Cause that's all that was really there, you know, no, there's no evidence of God, but you believe in God and well, people believe in God and the, the, that, that information stays with you it's in the zeitgeist of like our our lives of films of tv and it was a it was basically just an explanation for it at the time 
And then when you start hearing about the UFO cases and the lights in the sky, it was, I started to realize it was more related to that than say the religious side of what I thought was going on. So then it was like this weird crossover between belief systems and things like that and how people have perceived this throughout history, really. And again, it, it all comes down to, for me, like a personal experience is the only way you'll ever truly have any grasp of what's going on. And even then, we, we don't have a clue, <laughs> you know. I think um, that, that Dorothy Isaac documentary is on Amazon, I believe, still. Yeah, on Prime. Is it on Prime, I was going to say, yeah. So that's yeah. on Amazon Prime if people want to, to check that one out. Um, and I'll just let you say as well, guys, just before we finish up, what's the name of the Facebook group, just in case anyone wants to, to join in that? Uh, let me have a quick nosy and double check so I don't get it wrong. No, that's all it's right. UFO and like an at UAP A to Z. Awesome. So UFO at UAP A to Z on Facebook. Highly recommend everyone get on there and give it a shout. Some great content on there. Really nice community of people. You know, you don't get laughed at for posting stuff. It's it's really good. Awesome. Uh, I, I recommend that to anyone who wants to just have a chat because I know how important it is sometimes to just talk about this sort of thing. Keeping anything bottled up isn't good, you know. So just being able to have that conversation with like-eyed people, you know, it's good. So, and that's why I've really enjoyed you guys letting me onto there. I do really appreciate it and what you are doing. It, it helps the community in a way that I think is needed. So thank you, both of you. Well, th- thank you for stepping up to chat that, you know, it, it takes courage to talk about this kind of stuff. Um, and don't take that lightly. After we wrap up this call, go look in the mirror and give yourself a pat on the back, guys, okay? It's been thank lovely you very talking much. to you. It's not a self-help group. Don't add I don't I don't buy <laughs> that. Uh, no, thank you guys. I appreciate it. And uh, do call again next time, okay, mate? No, definitely. Thank you guys. Take care. Cheers, guys. Cheers, guys. Babbel is one of today's sponsors and they are the best way for you to begin to learn a new language. Immersing yourself in the language of your choice from day one through a whole range of learning styles including podcasts, games and online classes. It's available on desktop or through their app. Babbel's courses are created by didactics experts and focus on real life situations. So if you're holidaying in France and spot a UFO, you can get locals' attention quickly and efficiently. The lessons are as short as 15 minutes and fit into any schedule and can be downloaded to work on offline while on the go. With the help of everyday dialogue exercises and the speech recognition software, learners can practice their pronunciation and regular vocabulary repetition ensures that what is learned is memorised over the long term. I can already hear some of you listeners getting in touch to tell me I should really learn English given my dodgy accent. When you buy a six-month subscription to Babbel, you receive six months extra for free by using the code zen.ai forward slash UFO Babbel. That's U-F-O-B-A-B-B-E-L. Pay for six months and learn for a whole year. Get info and redeem the code at babbel.com forward slash audio. Folks, today is the day you finally decide to make a life-changing decision and learn that new language. Moving on, we are heading over to Washington and speaking to Dahlia. Dahlia, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. It's good to be back. It is very good to have you on. And this is very timely as well, because this is going out after people will have heard the interview with Dr. Lynn Kitai, researcher and author of the Phoenix Lights books and documentary. Um, And you're going to talk about uh, being a witness to the Phoenix Lights, aren't you? 
Yes, I I think that's what I witnessed. Yes. So go on, tell us why do you think? Well, I wasn't in Phoenix. Um, it was 1997. I was in a town called El Frida, Arizona, which is very far south. It's like almost to the border of Mexico. And I was in the middle of the desert. I was wor- sorry. I'm catching my breath because I'm kind of nervous. <laughs> Oh, that's okay. <laughs> um, I was I was working at a youth camp. It was like a a, a camp for inc- incarcerated youth, like teenagers. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like way way out in the desert. You could see the sky so well. You could see the stars really well. Um, and one night I was walking, there was like this stretch of desert that I, we had to walk through to get to the actual camp. And I was walking with one other person and we were just like walking and talking like normal. And then we just stopped and we looked up and I don't really know why we did that. You know, I mean, like we walked this patch many times before. I don't know why we stopped and looked up. And when we looked up, there were these lights in the sky and they were very far away, like satellite far away. So it didn't, it was like, is that a plane? But it was just so far away. And there were three lights and they started to move away from each other in a way that you don't, like you don't see that. Like it looked like Mm -hmm. it was craft but then all of a sudden they were moving away from each other and we were just confused. Um, we didn't really say much. We were just really confused. And then they just took off. So when we got to the camp, we didn't say anything. And we got to the camp. One of the kids came up to me and he was like, Miss Dahlia, do you see that UFO? Do you see that UFO, Miss Dahlia? <laughs> like yes <laughs> and, then, and then there was kind of like this you know this like um hum of excitement in the camp because so many people had seen it but we didn't talk about it again like it was just that happened and i didn't talk to, to that person about it again i didn't talk to anybody you know, in my life about it again, that I can remember, you know? And the reason why that's so strange is because I've always been majorly interested in UFOs and aliens. And I'm, well, I should say on a very superficial level, like I'm, I I was kind of like an X-Files aliens person. (laughs) Like I wasn't really deep into it. Um, But I was... I, I liked the idea of it. And of, of course I read communion and I knew about Travis Walton. So I even knew like when I moved to the camp, I was talking to everybody. Cause I was like, you know, this is a great place for us to see UFOs. And, you know, we, I would talk to the other staff about it. Um, so I was very aware of this idea of UFOs. I was super excited about it. And then when I had, when we had the actual, this actual sighting, it was like, I, I knew that it was there. Like I, I knew that it had happened, but it was almost like I didn't, 
I don't even know how to describe it. It's like I didn't remember it. It's like it just didn't come up when I even so it wasn't when a I, conscious decision. Yeah, to to not talk about it. it wasn't something you consciously decided, but you think more of a subconscious thing. Yes. Absolutely. And since then, you know, I mean, I was still interested in UFOs. And in the last two years, um, I really started to get interested in it. And I started listening to a bunch of podcasts and stuff. And it was actually, uh, I did a, I called in for one of Ryan Sprague's witness accounts, mm-hmm. because I remembered it. And so I ta- I talked about it on his show. And I was like, you know, it was about 1997. And I had known about the Phoenix Lights, but I've never really put it together. And and then after that, like, I, I think I watched like a documentary or something talking about the Phoenix Lights. But it was when I saw Kurt Russell. I saw the thing about Kurt Russell. It was it was Kurt yeah. Russell, right? It was. Yeah. Yep. He was the pilot. And so yeah. like and I saw, I guess he was on like a, I don't know if he was on like a, a, um, a show or something where he just like kind of casually said, Oh yeah, that was me. And yeah, he hadn't it was really a, it, thought it, about the first it. Time, the first time was in the UK. It was on BBC's The One Show and it randomly came up in conversation and he, he came out and said he was actually a pilot and saw it on descent that evening as he was coming in uh, to like on his own little jet, um, commuter jet. Um, yeah. And yeah, he, he saw the lights, but never spoke about it. Like you, and yes. many people have said, just never talked about it for, for almost two decades. <laughs> yes. So when I saw that, I was like, you know, wait a minute. Is that is that what I saw? And and then just the idea of like, why why haven't I been talking about this? Why hasn't this been the thing that I brought up every time I've had a UFO conversation or an alien conversation with people. I just, it just doesn't come up. And in fact, like I, I don't know, I guess people would say like, well, have you ever seen a UFO? And I just, I don't even know how I was answering that question Mm -hmm. for a very long time until I, you know, Ryan Sprague was like, Hey, have you seen a UFO? And I was like, Oh yeah, I have. And you know, and a whole bunch of other people saw it too. But before that, I had just, it just wasn't in my mind. And now it's like in my mind, you know, and I, I, I've really, actually had the thought of like, is it real? Did I actually see that? Did this really happen? Yeah. But I remember what I remember the most. I mean, I remember looking up, I remember seeing the lights, but the main thing that I remember is the kid walking up to me saying like, did you see that UFO? Mm-hmm. And just like the feeling in the camp. So I, I know that that happened it's it's very strange and it's hard to explain your your mind thanks for sharing that anyway because your your mind on its own like when i saw the the black triangle object and it was december 2019 november december 2019 you you live the event i remember pretty clearly what happened but as time passes your brain starts to add things in or take things away and you start to wonder did it actually move that way? And you have to almost go back and go, no, it definitely did because I've always thought that and it's just almost taking your steps back through and I can see why people do hypnosis and regression and those types of things to really get these experiences experiences and memories as, as vivid as possible because your brain does play tricks on you and you can almost convince yourself you saw something that you you didn't when you really did. 
and timing wise, this is a really great call because, like I say, I've I've just released the episode with Dr. Lynn Kitai. Well, it'll be out once this one comes out, and she's a researcher on the Phoenix Lights, and she talks about the amount of people who, for years, didn't talk about the event, including people like Kurt Russell, who who saw something quite incredible, but just for whatever reason, it doesn't happen. And also something that she brought up that I've I've heard talked about very briefly before is just how far those sightings actually happened. Because like you say, you were, whereabouts were you again, roughly, the location? I was in Alfreda, Arizona. So it's like right at the border, of, very close to the border of Mexico. Yeah. And, and she was talking about, you know, we're, we're talking about a craft here that reportedly was about a mile in size. Some people were saying it was nighttime, it was hard to look at, but it was very low down when people over Phoenix were seeing it. But people from all over, from miles and miles and miles away, were then reporting things before that evening and long into the night as well. So when that comes out, people will be able to hear those details. And I thought that was really interesting. So why wouldn't, if an object that size was buzzing about an area, why wouldn't folks far and wide see it and report it? But like yourselves, there was no mobile phones really, 1997. I take it you never had like a, a mobile. There was no text messaging. Yeah, I think that was right before I got I got one of those Nokia phones, like the ones on the Matrix, like the <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There was definitely no camera phones. That's that's for oh, sure. Yeah. Um, those weren't a thing yet, so no one was taking pictures. There was no social media, which even now people may say would be a good thing or a bad thing. So yeah. there's no instant reporting of it. And like you say, you had a conversation about it. People came up who were in the camp, said to you, "Did you see that UFO?" And and that was the end of it. And I think yeah. that's the case, I think, for many, many, many people, including those in the general public with with no interest in the UFO subject, that they would say, if you asked them as an automatic response, have you seen a UFO? I think most people would say no. But when you really get into it or you have a conversation, you get that, actually, you asked about a UFO. There was this one time. Yeah. And then a story comes out. So, yeah, it's a pretty interesting one. Yeah, it's a it's kind of a trip just thinking about it, you know, like why it I feel like did they <laughs> it sounds crazy but it's like did they make me forget? <laughs> you know no, like I, aliens. <laughs> listen, there's there's almost a sense of ego when you're talking about this isn't there that you know why why would Dahlia be so important that aliens and all that all that height would even think or recognize her but I, I've said the same, that the object that me and my family saw back in uh, the mid-90s, the big disc-shaped object, which is the logo of the podcast, um, that was a very populated area with lots of people who would have been round about. L- many, many people would have seen that. But is there something that goes on that the mass consciousness of people is affected and yeah. people see different things? Is it the people that would have been right next to it had no idea it was even there? Whereas an object like what happened in Phoenix, it seemed to be that rare occasion that 10,000 plus people saw it. Yeah. Very I don't interesting. think you can take anything off the table. There, there's nothing you can take off the table in terms of the conversation. As as wild as some of it might sound, and in, right now, as unprovable as a lot of it can be as well, I think it's one of those things that you're, you're right. Maybe, maybe you see these things and it's kind of stored away somewhere in your in your mind until such time that it's required again maybe for this call-in who knows yes (laughs) yeah it is interesting thinking about like well why and it seems like there's many people remembering right now and why is it right now yeah really good point 
Dahlia, it is lovely speaking with you again. Always good to have you on. And I hope you call in again next time. Thank you so much. It's been a tough few years for many of us, juggling a lot that life has thrown our way. As someone with a young family, finances have never been more important, especially with the soaring cost of living day to day. That's where credit.com can help. There is a way you can begin to take back some control of your financial situation. Extra Credit is a product from credit.com that gives you unmatched credit coverage. You might have checked your credit score on a free app then when trying to make a purchase on credit, like a car, found it wasn't quite what you expected. Extra credit from credit.com gives you access to all 28 FICO scores to see exactly what lenders will see. Extra credit not only gives you access to those 28 FICO scores, but also helps guard your identity with $1 million ID insurance, dark web scans and data breach alerts. Plus, you can get cash rewards for selecting personalised offers. As someone who, as a student, racked up a lot of debt, I can relate to having to rebuild my credit score as an adult. There's no better time to do this now. The past can't be changed, but you can begin to rebuild your future today. To sign up for extra credit, go to credit.com forward slash that UFO and get started there. To sweeten the deal, you can even get the first seven days absolutely free. It's just $24.99 plus tax a month after the free trial. You can cancel anytime. So go check out extra credit today and start working on your credit goals. And next up on the call-in, we go to regular contributor, listener, caller, uh, Mr. Dave Smethers. Dave, welcome back to the podcast. Hi, Andy. How are you doing? Great to be here. Uh, long time no speak. Uh, I've already seen you on Saturday, I think, so that'll be good. You will be now. I mean, as and when this goes out, it might yeah, not yeah. go out until after the mini-con that we're attending in uh, in Manchester in this coming week. But I look forward to that, yeah, through ufoidentified.co.uk. And I actually neglected to to say, Dave, I mean, in the last year and a half or so, you've become a bit of a, a voice or podcaster yourself on UFO Thinker with Frank, haven't you? So you make your, your regular appearances on there. Yeah, it's funny. Do you remember, I remember saying to you and Dan, actually, but... Uh... I decided I was going to do a bit more, you know, and get a bit more involved. And, and that's funnily, I did that as it happened. I wrote a couple of articles, did a bit, I do a bit with Chris Sharp on Liberation Times and yep. done a bit with Frank. So I've, I've really been enjoying it, actually. It's, it's good, you know. Uh, I mean, it's, it's more difficult than it looks, isn't it? Uh, I'm sure you know all about that. It's I couldn't comment thing. on that. I'd be too egotistical. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's, it's good to have other sensible voices from yeah. the UK out there as well, mate. So you're, you're doing well and doing your thing. And it's always good to see your, your ego's not too big. You can't come back on this little show now and again. So oh, I appreciate God. it. <laughs> what are you like? That's <laughs> no, all, Andy. No, this is the... This is the main... Well, let's not make your ego, but this is the main show, isn't it? And think how well you guys have done. You and ah, Dan together. Fantastic. So. I will we'll leave that one there, eh? but yes, no, Dave. Thanks. Before we start disappearing up each other's asses, <laughs> um, uh, Dave, uh, the floor is yours. What do you want to talk about? Right now, I'm going to ask you just uncharacteristically, Frank, just one question. But oh, you call me it, Frank for a start. Yeah, I, mean, did I call you good. Frank there. That's bad. See, that's that's almost as bad as that's. Uh, I don't know what that is. My Freudian slip. But yeah, uh, I'm going to ask you just one question uncharacteristically, uh, uh, but it's a bit of a long one. So. Given we've got the community waiting for the sort of IAA Act, uh, the Intelligence Authorization Act to be passed, we've got possible hearings. We're sort of waiting for those to move disclosure forward. And we've had some pretty incredible statements from Chris Mellon, Gary Nolan, Jim Semivan. Chris has talked about maybe reliably involved as recovered materials and secret RV programs and whistleblowers ready to speak. 
Gary saying he's certain we're involved with the non-human intelligence and briefing Gallagher on Wilson Davis. Jim saying there's legacy programs that have been going since the war and talking about the trickster entity that's always been a really big, big, you know, I think quite important statements in these figures. So mm-hmm. I thought I wanted to ask you what you thought maybe the impact of these things maybe will be on DOD coming forward disclosure and hearing. So what's the impact of those guys speaking? And do you think that uh, the hearing, the hearings may force DOD's hand or the Intelligence Authorization Act may force their hand or maybe nothing will force their hand? So what do you think? So I know that's a bit of a complex question there, uh, Andy, but it's basically, you know, what may force the DOE's hand from all these things that are happening? DOD's hand, I should say. Yeah, no, it's fair. It's like you say, there's a lot of kind of components involved now. And in a way, it's probably the last thing you said that I don't think anything's going to force their hand short of some kind of mass sighting happening nowadays, you know, with loads of people seeing stuff and recording it and asking questions from a public point of view. I think what's happening now, as much as ourselves in the UFO community are keeping on top of all of this, we're back on that lull on the roller coaster where the public interest has waned again and we're waiting on that next kind of peak coming back up um, that we maybe had kind of earlier in, in May or June of this year and then same time last year. When that will be, I don't know. I think with all these voices coming out, like your Jim Semivans, Gary Nolan seeming to take over the mantle of the the leader of the movement, if you want to call it that, which does start sounding a bit cult-like, doesn't it? <laughs> but he is the kind of lead voice at the moment for, for many people. Um, Chris Mellon still keeping on top of this. Uh, Senator Gillibrand keeping on top of it. I think it's almost attacking from as many different angles as they can. And I think the old phrase in the UK is, if you throw enough shit at a wall, you know, see what sticks. <laughs> and it's almost a way that, you know, if we can just throw so much at the people in the background, keeping the secrets who don't want to investigate this, who don't want to talk about it, what can we get from them? What's going to stick on the wall? And I think that's the, the kind of best chance we've got of getting anything at the moment. I don't think we're going to get the next set of hearings being as big and explosive as some people would like. But what I think would be a, a massive piece of progress is just getting that next set of hearings and hopefully hearing some of those folks come forward. Dave, you're a, a long-standing Patreon and I appreciate that. And you've you've already heard the Frank Milburn interview that as we record this doesn't go out on the free feeds until tomorrow. And Frank was talking about uh, hearing a former scientist who being involved in anti-gravity, I believe it was, um, potentially being murdered. Um, sounding very Scottish I know they are being killed um, because of their work on the UFO subject and wanting to talk about it and when you think about it it's not just as easy as people like myself yourself anyone on social media clamoring for for whistleblowers to come forward and tell us what they know I mean Dave if you were the guy who who had the was in the know in the UFO crash retrieval program in the UK and you went over to the US, or even just keep it simple, you're in the US, and they say, yeah, come forward, tell us everything you know, it's fine. There's a hell of a lot happens after you do that that would involve you being protected, you know, that your car doesn't mysteriously veer off the road one night when you're driving down a dark road, or you don't get some mysterious illness, or if you've got a family, you've got to think about them, and there's not people getting in touch with you in the background. That's what Frank was getting at as well, Frank Mm. Milburn, to say, these people, for all they could potentially come forward, it's just really not as straightforward and as simple as that. And they may also have have careers that they're thinking about. 
that they want to progress in the roles or within government and it'll affect it'll affect those round about them, their loved ones as well, coming out. And as much as well, that's great, you know, they should for the UFO topic. There's still the human element, there's still human lives at, at risk here and at play and, and people's livelihoods, careers, reputations. So I think it's still a slow build. And for me, just, just getting those conversations had back in the public domain, it would almost be, because if you think, taking taking a step back, if I'm a member of the public who's only really re-heard about the UFO conversation in the last 12 months, in a big way, because it was on those different programs and um, all the big chat, people hate me saying Tucker Carlson all the time. I get emails about that, but he was one of the big ones in the US that was really talking about it. It's gone away again. So if they're not listening to podcasts or reading articles on Liberation Times or watching YouTube shows, the UFO subject is just ancient aliens on history on a Sunday evening. That's it. So it's gone. So what we're waiting on is it coming back, back into mainstream. Hopefully people like Gary Nolan getting spoken about on various shows, talking about materials, talking about real science, talking about data. And then they go, ah, so this subject still being talked about. They're still talking about UFOs. Again, is there something to this? Then maybe the hearings come up. Oh, so there's actually hearings happening off the back of the congressional stuff last year. And maybe the snowball picks up speed then. But I think it's still a slow burn. People like myself don't mind that. I've got the patience for it. I see the progress. But I understand on the flip side, the people who it's not quick enough. And there's a panic that the, the genie goes back in the bottle. And I've given a response there, which is similar in length to some of the questions you send me, but uh, I'll I'll let you come back on that one. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, I've got such a lot of time for Frank particularly, and he is a bit of a voice of caution, and he's very candid as well. And that is a really good point you make about the impact on people. And I think because of that, the age profile of any whistleblowers we may see may well be on the older side. And it may well be people whose careers have finished or whatever. And, uh, oh, but you're right about the protection front because I can't see anybody coming forward who's active because you're right, it's, and Frank's right, it's just too dangerous. And, and Frank also raised the other point about disclosure, about you think about the technology, if it is something like we think where it's very, it taps a real hidden source of power, it, it could easily be weaponized and there's all sorts of security issues apart from the, weapons tech and keeping it the actual dangerous so i remember frank talking about that as well and i remember thinking yeah so it's a really good perspective that uh on the stuff around that everybody's sticking the mud at the wall throwing mud at the wall i think you're right because i think after gillibrand people thought oh we've done it now they didn't quite think that but they thought it was going to go okay yeah somehow the fix was put in they had the ai omsg and it all seemed to dissipate, and I think they're probably trying to get their retaliation in first this time. Uh, and, and finally, I, I think you're also right on your point. We do, and I'm guilty of this now, particularly now because I'm more into it than ever, of not thinking about the public optics and how they're being managed. And so I think they're all really good, really good points. And I always like to listen to Frank because he, he knows the game and he always a bit of a voice of caution, but I think he... I think we have gone too far now for it to, for something not to happen, but maybe not quite what we think. Yeah, and like you say, I think that public perception is people get lost in how important, for example, UFO Twitter can be. 
and it's it is, it's a it's a big chat room. That's essentially what it is. It's the modern day AOL chat room, or it's all your mates being on MSN Messenger when you come home from school. That's that's what it is. It's it's a group which is relatively closed off, and sometimes some people's tweets or, or points or videos get exposure to a wider audience, which is great. Um, but it's still largely for people with an interest in the UFO topic with a, an intense interest in the UFO topic because it can be a hard one, I think, to to get involved in if you're not already part of that community. A bit like trying to get on a treadmill in the gym and it's already going at you know 10 miles an hour and you're, you've got your foot on it and you're just trying to get in and keep up the pace. Um, there's probably better times than others to get involved. But yeah, from a public point of view, I, I can judge it with just the people I work with and my, my, my nine to five in the office. Like so many of them still don't know about the, the wider reach of the topic, the the developments of the last five years, you know, going back any further than that. It's still largely little green men, flying saucers. There's no way that's happening. That is the UFO topic still for the, the general public. Again, from a US point of view, there's been a hell of a lot more progress. We saw that in recent times. And I saw someone post just recently. I'll be talking about it in more in more depth on the breakdown with myself and Dan, but the Project Unity interview with Oak Shannon. And people were saying, you know, we need to get more of this done in the UK. And it was like, that would be great. I'd love to go and speak to those equivalents in the UK, but they just don't come forward. They don't want to come forward. And it, it is frustrating, but we're just, we're still just so far behind seeing the, the subject even broached or talked about in a really serious manner in, in any form of the UK media. So I've done a couple of very small, short radio appearances, Dave, as you'll know. Some of the counties, BBC radios get in touch with me to, to talk about the UFO subject, which is really nice. But it kind of stops at that that point and it'd just be nice to hear some different voices on a bigger scale in the UK I, I think I've said before but one of my big kind of aspirations in terms of getting my voice out there, I would love to get on to talk sport, not for a show I mean that would be great, you know I love football and everything but between 10 and 11 uh, between 10 and 1 at night they do their uh, sports bar show and if anyone's heard it, it's two uh, chaps, one a former footballer, Jason Kunde, and you've got Andy Goldstein and all that kind of stuff. But it's very much for that London cabbie audience, which is like millions of people, you know, millions of people listen to it. But whenever they've had UFO conversations in the past, it's always a joke and a laugh and quite derisory, and they make fun of the guest. I would love to get on there and be able to talk to two guys like that with a big audience and try and bring them round a bit on the UFO topic just to say, wait a minute, I know why you're saying what you're saying, but think of it this way and just try and change their mind a little bit and I think again that can have a knock-on effect and a sway on public opinion not to say I can do that but just to hear anyone you know a Gary Nolan or, or someone like that having those conversations and a kind of bigger bigger stage bigger scale so that would be that would be a good one for me I think to to hear that down the line. Yeah I think you're right I mean because once you start talking about it to somebody you get past the initial giggle factor it's fairly rational, isn't it? I mean, when you've been on the radio, you've done that, and they normally go, all oh, right," and because there's quite a lot of facts we've got our commanders, or you know, the, the sort of community people. If you talk about it, and I've had conversations with some people about it, and you quickly you've got quite a lot of stuff you can say, but sensible. Yeah. And I think you're dead right. We could have that conversation. I also know that anything to do with this topic, people are secretly interested. It's mm -hmm. just sort of being given permission to do it. And maybe if there is that sensible dialogue, that gives that permission, you know. And, uh, and you know, and so I think you're right. And I think that would be great. I think it would work. 
And well, hopefully that's where it'll go a little bit as it's developing as well, particularly when the big reports come out and stuff, because the media did seem to listen a lot more than a a report or a big set piece thing. It's clearly a bit of a trigger for the media to to sort of go on that, isn't it? I think. And, and so that may be opportunity may meet sort of means at that point and we do something. But yeah, I totally agree with you, mate. But one more thing I'll ask you then, Dave, just to wrap up. We're heading towards that 31st of October unclassified report and update. Are you expecting much from that yourself? Well, you know what? I, I heard a few, there's a few talk, don't expect much. Chris uh, Mellon was saying don't expect much. Then I saw Bryce Zabel had said, oh, yeah, it's going to be pretty big and don't be ex-. So I wasn't. But then when I saw Bryce's thing, because logically they're not going to have done much. The office hasn't been in place. But Bryce Sable seems to be saying, and he seems to, you know, he's probably got a bit of a hint from his contacts, but there may be something in it. So my hat, my head says no, but my sort of secret heart, uh, as it were, without sounding too weird, from Bryce was uh, maybe uh, I think we might hear more than we thought, and that's what I think. Uh, so I did, that's a bit of a have your cake and eat it answer, really. But I, I, so uh, yes, I suppose if I want to come now, you asked me ages ago. Do you remember you said? Is there a UK? Is there a UFO in the uh, crashed uh, thing in the UK? Yes or no? And I said uh, yes because <laughs> I had to answer. Uh, and and I thought, oh no, I don't know if I was right there when I went away. But it might be, but there is as well. So maybe this is the right answer as well. Yes, I remember that. I hope so. Well, Dave, uh, keep doing what you're doing. And if folks like hearing Dave talk, or if you want to hear someone else talk over Dave, you've got Frank at the UFO Thinker <laughs> podcast. Check that one out as well, folks. But Dave, always a pleasure to speak to you, mate. Yeah, and great and great for to you and Dan and the stuff you do is brilliant. And I really mean that. Fantastic. Okay. Cheers, Andy. Great to speak. Consider your heart, consider time, consider your space, consider your lies, consider your 
That UFO podcast is powered by Zencaster. Zencaster is one of the world's leading platforms for recording and hosting podcasts. The open beta strives to put the power of studio quality remote video production into the hands of anyone with a story to tell. Features include HD video recording, studio quality sound, chat and footnotes. All running right from your browser so you can record from anywhere without ever installing anything. Check out the links in the show description to find out more.